Welcome to the Insight Through Experience podcast, a podcast created to provide information about what life is like inside the most specialized special tactics organization in the U.S. Air Force. In these episodes, we'll be bringing you the experiences from many of our experts, ranging from our human performance optimization staff, our combat mission supporters, as well as our special warfare operators. Our main objective with these podcasts are to provide the listener with a unique look inside our culture of excellence in hopes that you will make the 724 a future career goal. Now sit back, relax, take some notes, prepare to hear from some of the Air Force's finest. Thank you for joining us on the Insight Through Experience podcast. All right, everybody, welcome to the Insight Through Experience podcast. This week, we are talking everything medical at the 724. So we've got Riley, Kyle, and Brandon with us today. Guys, thanks for uh, joining us on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having us. Appreciate you opening up, Trey. Yeah, thanks, Trey. All right, starting with Riley, um, if you would, introduce yourself to the audience. Just let us know a little bit about yourself and uh, and how you ended up here. Sure. Uh, good morning. My name is Riley. I am... Uh, currently the group surgeon here at the 724 Special Tactics Group. I'm a family medicine physician and flight surgeon by uh, by trade. Uh, assignments that I've had before this uh, was at the 22nd Special Tactics Squadron, whereas uh, I initially kind of sunk my teeth into what special, special tactics community offers and uh, and how they f- operate in the greater Air Force. Yeah, Kyle here, uh, medical flight chief. Um, my AFSC is medical logistics. Uh, current assignment for this, I was at uh, Vandenberg Air Force Base, um, working at, on that uh, space mission out there. Uh, Brandon, uh, I'm an IDMT uh, with a paramedic head too. Uh, currently sitting as the NCIC of medical training here at the group. Um, before that, I was down at Charleston. So I knocked out both the Carolinas in my first two duty stations. Uh, came up here as a senior airman, which was uh, a little bit strange. Definitely drinking through a fire hose. Um, but couldn't, couldn't be happier to be here. Awesome. Appreciate that. Kyle, how was Vandenberg um, when you were out there? It was nice. Uh, probably one of the, the most beautiful bases I think I've seen. Um, beaches all over the base there, 97,000 square acres of just wildlife. It was good. It was a good mission. Uh, it was a good intro to my Air Force career. What, uh, what was your task? What was your main roles there? Uh, so I kind of uh, come in there. I was obviously very young in, in the Air Force, so... I did a lot of storage distribution, like uh, shipping and receiving of supplies. I kind of worked my way up to uh, War Reserve Material, WRM, uh, and then kind of got my feet wet in the door with like operational medical supplies there. That's interesting. Brandon, over to you. How about uh, Charleston, man? What was your roles down there, and uh, how was that experience? Uh, Charleston, I got to kind of cut my teeth as a med tech um, in, in all the basic roles. I touched family health mainly. Um, but got to do a little bit of time in peds and then from there went to IDMT school, uh, didn't get orders, um, and came back and then went to flight medicine, um, pulled like ambulance response, sick call duties. And, um, other than that, a lot of, uh, flight line, flight line response stuff. All right. So what I want to know from you guys too, Riley, we'll go back over to you is, why the seven two four? What? How did you make the decision? Why did you make the decision? How did you end up here? That's a great question, Trey. I think uh, I'll start with how I kind of got into special tactics. I think uh, going through residency, I felt like I was a doctor working in a military hospital, but I didn't feel like I was uh, really part of the military mission. And uh, when I heard about the special tactics community, it seemed like a really special, uh, meaningful place to work where you could uh, not be put 
so to speak, at the tip of the spear yourself, but you're supporting folks uh, who are who are definitely at the tip of the spear. Uh, so I so I spent my time at the 22nd Special Tactics Squadron up at uh, Joint Base Lewis McCord and had met several operators who had kind of worked their way uh, up to join the 724th and just heard about what a great place this was to work and the, the robust amount of resources and the 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 large uh, human performance optimization team that we have here and and all those things synchronizing together uh, seemed like an attractive place to to serve. How long, just for my edification, how long had the 2-2 had a flight surgeon type assigned to them? Were you the first or they had that going on for a little while? Because when I left, which was a long time ago, clearly we didn't have any any resources like that. Yeah, I guess you could say I'm kind of the second generation up there. There was one previous flight surgeon when they were uh, initially standing up their POTIF teams, which was they were calling them, that had finished a three-year tour, and I came on the heels of, of that assignment. So, uh, Kyle... Vandenberg, how do, in the world did you end up at the 724 from a remote location out in California? Yeah, so <clears throat> that's, this is kind of interesting. So I was waiting on a career job reservation number uh, to kind of continue on as a medical logistician, and I didn't end up getting it. Uh, I started down the track of like becoming a recruiter uh, to kind of try and get out of there, kind of stay in the Air Force and stuff like that. Um, I got a random phone call one day uh, by a Mark by Mark, who was a medical logistician there, and uh, he kind of asked me if I was searching for a job. I'd already had orders twice to Alaska and had them canceled, so I didn't even believe what I was hearing, that there was a possibility for me to come and assess. Uh, so I kind of handed the phone over to my supervisor. I'm like, I don't know what this is. Um, almost missed out on the opportunity. I'm glad I took it uh, because within like, I think it was two weeks, I was down and uh, over here kind of assessing and uh, ended up getting picked up, which kind of honestly saved me from not being a medical uh, logistics guy. So very thankful for figuring out what this place was. What happened with that Alaska assignment? You said you had two canceled. Obviously, you're probably wanting to go there, and they got turned off. What happened? Yeah, so I think it was. I had been there for five years. Um, I think it was just one of those times where PCS were, were starting to happen. Uh, because I didn't have that career job reservation number, they kept canceling it because they didn't know if I was going to be able to stay uh, as a logistics billet. You know? yeah. Brandon, over to you. How did you end up from your life in the Big Blue Air Force to uh, coming up to the 724? Uh, I attribute it hundred percent to, uh, go on IDMT. Um, and then I would have thought luck, but come to find out from previous, uh, conversations I had later on, um, one of the, uh, PA, uh, preceptor instructors at IDMT school actually put my name in a, a bucket of names for kind of the kind of personality or thought process that might do well up here. Um, and figured that if I came up for an assessment, um, the, the recruiting assessing team could kind of tease all that out and see if it, it truly was or not. Um, so luck and, and people in the right places, because I had never heard of the, the group and I had no idea what the mission was when I came up here. I just knew I got uh, an email um, with, I think, 70 other people and like three or four of us had senior airmen in our signature block. So really, when I came up, I, I had no... I didn't believe that I was getting a shot at it, but I figured I would come up, look at the process and try to figure out how I could better myself and come back here later on. That, um, I'm going to pick on you again here, and I know I'm poking at your humbleness now, but I want you to set it aside a little bit. And why, why senior airman Brandon, why did they choose you over maybe some of the more experienced folks? Do you think? Uh, again, I would attribute it to the, uh, the, the PA that was down there at IDMT school. Um, he had done some recruiting for our unit was my understanding. We didn't have in-depth conversations about it, but 
uh, when the email came through, I, I kind of hit him back. Um, I was like, Hey, sir, uh, I know you, you lived up in this world. I don't know if it's the same unit here or there. Uh, I'm not talking specifics, but he's like, yeah, man, like you, you put out, <clears throat> um, you have a drive. I, I think that's, that's probably what it, I would attribute it to. He, he talked to like that drive and motivation. Um, and I think you kind of have to have that coming up to this world because you're going to stay busy, um, potentially work outside of your AFSE is just the, the Air Force definition of it. Um, and if you're not motivated, you probably uh, might might struggle to to do that here. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's amazing what a little bit of intelligence, a whole bunch of drive and some humbleness um, can do for a human. And that's who we're trying to hire. So, Riley, over to you. If you could take some time and describe to the audience, the medical section inside the group, how you guys are organized and how you guys support the mission that we do here. Sure thing. I think uh, one thing to uh, to just put in perspective is we are uh, not working within a, a medical treatment facility. We are directly supporting essentially seven directorates. Uh, that that is the 724 Special Tactics Group, and we have done our best to align our personnel to best. Uh, meet the requirements for each of those directorates. Within the medical shop itself, we fit under a larger umbrella, which is we call the Human Performance Optimization Program, which essentially combines four pillars, the medical pillar, the psych pillar, uh, the human performance pillar, and the spiritual pillar. And so we have uh, roughly 61 providers who support uh, and, and comprom com uh, comprise of that uh, HPO team. Within medical, uh, we have about 25 active duty, uh, one contractor and uh, one GS employee who uh, are broken up into essentially three flights. One, one is the training flight, and the training flight essentially does all things training for the 724, whether that's BLS, TCCC, or we have our own organic advanced medical training. Our IDMTs and our training flight also do a large uh, preponderance of our operational medical support for high-risk training that our operators regularly conduct, such as dive, jump, close air support, and shooting. Our, our other flight would is flight medicine. Uh, they're really responsible for the care and feeding of our operators and uh, our highly supported uh, uh, support personnel. So uh, really the, the basic occupational exam that you would have at any flight medicine clinic, we do that and some extra stuff. There's some specific programs that we have unique to the 724 that we think uh, prepare our folks uh, for a busy operations tempo uh, that we that we put on uh, superseding the, the standard at the MTF. Again, they also have a lot of, uh, involve a lot of programs where they would synchronize across some of those other pillars as part of our HPO team. The last section is our, our medical operations. And really it's, it's again, there's a lot of uh, schedules and, and, and requests for training support coming our way. And those operations folks really deconflict that. And, and under that operations branch uh, falls medical logistics as well. And, and there is a heavy lift on medical logistics to get everyone the equipment they need uh, across the tier. Uh, and that's really that's really how our med team functions. Yeah, that's very interesting. I've been here a long time, and I don't know that I knew every bit of that. So, Riley, how about your day-to-day -day duties? Being the lead guy inside that shop and also a, a flight surgeon who has a lot of tasks to do with that as well, how does your day break down usually? One thing I will tell you is I've not had one day that was the same since I got to the 724th. Uh, I think you're constantly uh, kind of on your toes, and and I think I think the the work is rewarding. I'll tell you a lot of things that that I'm doing at my level are are synchronizing um, with commanders uh, internal to the unit, but also external, right, to make sure that 
we are gaining uh, trust um, and therefore uh, freedom of maneuver to be able to do the things that our medics need to do to support our guys and also things that our guys are interested in. And a lot of times that happens through relationships. So uh, it, there is a fair amount of, at my position, there is a fair amount of communication that involves uh, emails and, and uh, video teleconferences in a given week. But there are a lot of unique opportunities as a group surgeon at this organization that you get to take advantage of. Uh, things like the Reset Week that we do at Duke, which is a uh, post-deployment uh, multidisciplinary reintegration program that we take our operators up to Duke University, or we've done it at University of North Carolina in the past. And essentially sit down with them for an hour per pillar and, and talk through the stuff that they've either dealt with through their deployment or they continue to deal with. It's a really unique opportunity. Other things we have, like I'd mentioned, is we have a lot of unique uh, medical training opportunities up here, whether that's through equipment that we're getting kind of the first look at, uh, or such as our virtual reality uh, demo that we have, or, or just some of the, the programs that we've built up or collaborated with across the soft enterprise up at Wake Forest University. I think there's a lot uh, of opportunity up here and the sky's the limit, really. All right, Kyle, over to you. What is your daily duties and what's your day-to-day -day battle rhythm look like? Yeah, so uh, as a medical flight chief, I manage all the day-to-day -day operations of uh, what you heard previously from Riley, um, medical logistics, uh, medical training, um, flight medicine, uh, I, I'm very reactionary. Uh, you have to be reactionary in this kind of duty. Uh, so a lot of what I do is depend on what my guys are doing, right? Where they need help, uh, where they need me to help facilitate getting in where they need to go. Uh, I do a lot of uh, advising with uh, Riley, uh, try and keep him on the status of our uh, of our force. Um, because like I said, we're, we're so reactionary, we can get pulled in 20 different directions. Uh, so I spend most of my time, uh, other than writing uh, EPRs and medals, uh, kind of hurting the rest of the population, trying to keep them happy. Yeah, I worked in ops uh, my last two years. I was operational at the unit. So, man, I know it is a just react most of the time. It's hard to get ahead of anything in an organization like that. But what is that looking like from your um, position or your perch in ops? How are the uh, – is it a heavy workload on, on your force right now? And if so, um, what does that consist of? Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's extremely heavy. Uh, when you get through these big training, uh, culminating exercises, and you're you're bringing guys in uh, uh, from the operator training course and stuff like that, uh, there's a lot of prep work that goes into that. Uh, everywhere from ordering all the supplies that those guys are going to use for a whole year to prepping the the IDMTs and and my PAs to make sure that they can go train these guys, get them certified. Uh, one, put them on the road for an extended amount of time as well. Um, for my flight medicine people, they're screening everything, everything that comes in and out. They got to screen for it. Uh, they're doing it sometimes throughout the nights to make sure that we can have these uh, training courses. We can have these um, operator assessments. Uh, they're, they're huge. Um, so yeah, it's busy. <laughs> Brandon, over to you. Um, what is your daily life like as an IDMT inside the organization? I think it's, uh, <clears throat> it's changed for the better uh, in my time here. So I would have said before it was just uh, hurting cats. Um, it was always uh, just to echo what Riley and Kyle said, man, it, it definitely started off uh, just hitting the ground running, trying to maintain um, both on the operator side and support TCCC, BLS, all these different training programs, uh, making sure the, the PJs are keeping their um, national registry certs up, putting on tons of different um training exercises, different reps, um, 
like highlight what what we have here is just the greatest opportunity to train um, some of the highest highest level of guys. Uh, we we have somewhere in the ballpark of over three three million dollars worth of gear in different modalities that we can train guys. Um, get some of the most realistic life like training, um, and not like big Air Force where. A guy is checking the pulse on the patient during a scenario and like looking up at somebody to be like, I'm checking his pulse. What is it? It's no man, like check the pulse. If there's a pulse, call out what you're getting for your count. If it's wrong, we'll, we'll inject it. But otherwise work as if nobody else is around you. You could be in, these guys could be in a collapse structure. They could be in some training modalities, some trailers we have that you can black out, make them go with their nods or red lights, whatever it is. So you can get, more tactical training um, and have to have some of those disciplines. And uh, on the other side of that is like the in-office stuff. So trying to make sure um, everybody's putting in quarterly awards or whatever else, right? Like as an NCIC, I kind of owe it to my guys to make sure we're doing things for them and getting guys recognized because the the workload here is definitely um, not lacking. I think for the first time we have uh, the first time in my time here, we have all of our IDMT billets full. We have two PAs, um, one GS, a nurse, and our med director. We all fall under that training umbrella. So there's definitely the workload there to get guys uh, the recognition for what they're putting out. Because um, any given day, things change so much. And even, even just a, a last-minute medical coverage for any of the high risk stuff these guys are doing to, to keep up even just their core soft skills, sheep move, communicate type stuff. Um, so it's pretty awesome. And as we move towards this uh, more of an alignment role, um, starting to move IDMTs to kind of own teams, um, which at that point, then you're basically a medical liaison for that team. Um, and everything medical is now your role, uh, making sure they get into whatever shop I uh, can help with that. So definitely busy, but also just super rewarding to to work with the guys at this level. I'm really liking the way you spelled out that medical liaison role for the the teams. That's so huge. Never had that, obviously. So huge. Brandon, before we leave you, I want you to explain briefly just uh, the most badass training scenario that you've been a part of when it comes to maybe PJs showing up and they have a medical task or a problem to solve. What did that look like? What was your role? On the spot, I don't even know one single. I am amazed every time these guys put out. Um, I, honestly, I would say the easiest summation would be um, it's probably a year, I think less than two years ago. The uh, I say it's a big RASD uh, piece, that video, um, what we do, um, that little YouTube clip. Like, So I would summarize the, the badassery here with that video is all operators doing their role, but I can literally sit down with every IDMT or PA here and they can call out what training location that was, what their role was, whether it was breaking down a scenario or helping these guys critique their skills um, or just doing med coverage. So I think being able to literally know that we support all of that and every single one of those things that highlights their skills, that would probably be it. I'd wrap it in that video supporting it. Yeah, and if, if you don't know what video he's talking about, go visit our website. All you got to do is Google 724STG. Um, 
it'll be the first return. I'll also have the link down in the show notes, but go watch that video. What we do, uh, it's a really good video combat camera actually in the air force, um, filmed that and edited it. So shout out to them too. Opportunities here, and I'm hearing it come out in spades as you guys are talking. So the opportunities, the differences between what was available to you or were available to you out in big blue to now you moved into the AFSOC arena, um, into the special tactics world. What's the difference between the opportunities? If I'm an IDMT or one of those other medical specialties that are coming up there, what do they get to do here that they might not get to do um, at a traditional assignment? So, yeah, I'll, I'll take the first swing at this. Um, I would say this organization gives you a lot of autonomy. Uh, it gives you a lot of uh, ability to own your requirements and your program. And so the opportunities that you're faced with are, they're your own, right? Like you can, you can venture out and, and uh, we pick up guys that are hungry, humble, and smart. And you'll hear that uh, time and time again. I'm sure you, you probably heard it doing as many podcasts as you have. What we want them to do is we want him to come here and we want them to challenge regulation. We want them to challenge the, the requirements that they see here. Uh, this organization wasn't built uh, on the standard. It was built going beyond the standard. So I think opportunities, you got funding. Uh, if things make sense uh, to your commanders and it makes sense to your leadership, like they will push you along to go get it done uh, with that guidance. Uh, so things like loggies are EMTB certified. Why are they EMTB certified? They, they would probably never do any patient care, but it helps to understand the kind of medical supplies that they're buying. Helps them understand how important it is when they put a tourniquet in a PJ's kit, what he's going to go do with that tourniquet and why it's important to make sure it's TCCC verified. Uh, so that's my first swing at, at opportunities. But uh, Can you speak to the budget a little bit, Kyle, uh, what the difference has been since you got to the organization and maybe even how it's evolved since you've been here. We were small when I first got here. Uh, that was about, was about almost seven years ago now. Um, I think we're sitting at less than an, a million dollars to kind of provide an organic medical capability to the, to the organization. Uh, so you, you talk about training. It was mostly travel. And I think we kind of evolved in that. I think we gained some ground with having these high fidelity mannequins that Brandon talks about to try and increase our training to get these guys, to keep them on their toes, right? To practice their, their treatment. Um, I think when you get a specific treatment that these guys are always used to, it's like, oh, he needs to cry or, hey, he needs, uh, he's got a blown off limb. I think this mixes, mixes a game up. And I think we've done an extremely good job of articulating that requirement uh, to the organization. And we've kind of grown almost probably quarter of that budget um, over. Uh, so we've gotten more training opportunities to send guys down to get certifications like acupuncture, uh, therapy for the PAs. PAs don't get acupuncture um, certifications here. They do uh, based off of taking care of it. I know I'm kind of bouncing around all the place, but uh, the budget is something that I'm, I, I get excited about, right? Because it's kind of evolved um, and we've kind of pinpointed where we need to keep going. Um, I'm sure you guys have heard about the Mert machine. I'm sure you guys have heard about uh, the light beds and stuff like that. Um, we're actually able to start going out and finding uh, treatments for our guys and keep them on the line. Uh, and I'll let Doc Burke run with that one a little bit. Yeah, I'll go. Um, let me just add on to what you said. I love what you said earlier about how the loggies were getting MTB. Um, when I used to be an operator here and was jumping, we had a great support staff down in our parachute shop. Uh, and they were always on the airplanes um, when we were doing tactical jumps. And we were always short jump masters, right? But these guys were on the planes and they didn't have any quals. So I made a big push for years of, I know they're never going to be jumping into combat. But that doesn't mean they shouldn't be jump masters. They shouldn't be uh, accelerated free fall instructors, things like that. And and we pushed the boundaries and we got them those upgrades. And then they became the best jumpers in the unit who were teaching. So 
again, I think that's a beautiful thing about the organization is we start thinking outside the box. We push paradigms. Those air ops guys got that jump master qual. And now I didn't have to burn a cadre member who's been up for three days to go up there and do those duties. Right. When I had a guy who's just as qual to do it. So I love that piece. Brandon, we'll go over to you and let Riley clean up this, uh, anything from his perch, but there are some opportunities that exist up here, especially for IDMTs um, that probably don't exist anywhere else. Uh, I appreciate the the moment to be able to highlight this stuff because we've got guys who are doing awesome things. And the standard here is you get hired as an IDMT with the expectation that uh, we're going to get you into the first paramedic class that we can um, to get you that base level of knowledge um, and skill one so that you can come out here and, and be better at your trauma medicine in case something happens on any of those med coverage uh, roles that we talked about earlier and then two um, i think it it helps when you have to teach so the pjs obviously they're paramedic um, for you to have that equalizer um, for the base level of knowledge and then moving on from that um, but we have I mean, we've got guys here with critical care paramedic, flight paramedic. We've got guys who are trying to get signed up right now for some wilderness medicine courses. Uh, everybody's checking blocks for Kazavac. Um, there's all kinds of opportunities in training. We recently rewrote um, or just kind of authored for the first time what fully mission qualified looks like for IDMTs here. Um, and so I won't give all those secrets away right now, but there's a list of check blocks to, to get you some some better skills and uh, one, make you better here, um, but twofold. When you leave here, um, you, you should have some skills that you wouldn't have been able to pick up in the regular Air Force. Um, and then some of the niceties, like we're involved in some of the R&D, so there's different tools that we get here um, that maybe aren't aren't the standard in the regular Air Force. Um, and I expect Doc will jump into some of the other shops, but I know like off the top of my head, like. Flight med, and those guys are picking up allergy immunization tech. They get hearing conservation courses. Um, our PAs have gone and done med planners. Our um, even our, our enlisted side on the ops has gone to the med planner. So I think this place, with the budget that we have for training and just kind of bettering yourself, is, is unlike anywhere else. With that, I'll, I'll leave the rest for you, Doc. Yeah, Riley, over to you, man. Uh, clean us up here. So we're talking opportunities that exist here, nowhere else. So uh, give it to us from your perch, man. I think uh, just to echo what you guys said, all the training in, and we and we have some resources here that aren't available to the conventional Air Force or even even other uh, white side RQS or or, or theater units uh, that I've worked in. But I think for me, the biggest things with the, uh, working for this organization really offers you a front row seat uh, to American military history and tactical innovation. Like I think. Really, if you look at what the 724 does, there's no other organization like it uh, in the military uh, or in the Air Force for sure, um, and I'm convinced of that. I think the second piece uh, for me is I think when you're working for this organization, you're surrounded by people who are going to challenge you every day and make you better. So I've learned a lot, uh, and that goes up and down and sideways, right? That's not just, hey, the, your mentor in front of you is the guy making you better or the gal making you better. I think I've learned a, a ton from uh, folks in AFSEs that I didn't regularly interact with uh, in, a, in a medical treatment facility. And, and even just within medical, our, our IDMTs are coming. Really, you know, we're, we're valuing really the humility and that drive and initiative that Brandon spoke to. 
but these guys are smart too. And, and you learn a lot from them. And I think uh, most of the people on our team are humble enough to, to realize that, man, you can learn a lot from uh, the people around you. And I think, uh, I think I've grown exponentially uh, just from the folks around me, uh, whether they're in our med team or in the organization at large. Yeah. I love that answer. I just want to give a shout out to, before I forget um, of how the medical shop, even we have guys who are coming here for this next OTC. So operators we picked up last year during our selection process are coming and, you know, they got some family issues as they're trying to move in COVID and um, they're trying to get their kids who might have some exceptional needs or something done. And every time they, they either email me or somebody and I reach out to Riley and his staff, they bend over backwards. Let me tell you, their plate is full. There's no doubt about it, but they stop whatever they're doing and try to help these folks out who are not even here yet try to help them overcome some problems. So again, I can't ever just emphasize enough how special this place is. And I think it goes back to when you hire the right people, um, you start hearing all these things that Riley and Kyle and Brandon are talking about. People are just pushing the boundaries in a good way. Uh, things are increasing because these folks that we're hiring are just some of the best humans on the planet, not even just at what they do, but just being good humans. So. With that said, y'all, um, we'll start with Riley on this one. So when med folks come and assess for the organization, A, what should they expect? And B, what are you guys kind of looking for when they come through? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think we get a lot of those questions from people as they're contemplating uh, assessing for the organization. I'll tell you, really, really at the end of the day, and these guys have alluded to it, we're looking for folks who are uh, able, stable, and motivated, or, or another way we say that within the organization is humble, hungry, and smart. I think we value those assets more than almost any any raw amount of credentials or experiences. And we've we've regularly hired younger, more inexperienced people, overqualified people because they had the right mindset that you've been speaking about. So those are the attributes I think that we're we're looking uh, for. I think for our assessment week, I think there is there is an opportunity where we spend some time with you in the work center. You'll do an informal board and a formal board. Uh, but really, it's it's an opportunity for us to get to know a little bit about you. Most of the time, we have all the products, the applications that you've sent in. So those those responses already generate some questions and some discussion points about what motivates people to be at this type of organization and what they think they could could bring uh, to our team. Yeah, beautiful, Kyle, Brandon. You want to add anything to that from your standpoints? I'll jump in, and I I think uh, there's no real secret sauce. I would just add that. Um, we, we have an expectation that you come to, to show yourself, um, in the most honest form. We have all kinds of different personalities here. Um, and we, we all have to be able to work together. So as much of it is, uh, it's a job interview, um, still be you because that that's, it's not only us making a decision, right? It, it's also the person assessing, like, do they want to come work with us? Will they fit in? Will it be a good um, well, I mean, a good four years because it's a controlled tour. And I think that, that that makes a big difference when people are here strictly in interview mode and it's kind of maybe a little more rigid versus like, man, let that guard down. Tell us who you are. Show us your personality and let's roll. Because like if you fit and you have that hungry, humble, smart mindset, like this place will blow your mind. You just have that autonomy to to make this place better. Yeah, I will just want to foot stop this. If for those listening to this podcast, if you haven't listened to a lot of the operator um, ANS ones, I've talked about this a lot, but 
What Brandon's saying is absolutely correct. It's hard for people to come here and not be stressed and kind of show us a different version of who they really are. Uh, but that's, that's not benefiting you and it won't benefit us because it may put you into a role for four years that you hate and that isn't fitting us well as, as you know, on the same front. So, um, what I like to say during our operator selection is we're just going to, we're going to give you a stage and we just want to see you on that stage. Who are you? Just be you. We're not going to treat you bad. Or in fact, we're going to treat you really good when you're here. Um, it, it's really important for you just to come here. And by the end of those four days, you gave us a really good snapshot of who you are as a human being. So we get to make a good choice. I love the way Brandon threw it out there. Kyle, you got anything to add? No, I, I would just re-echo the same thing that they already uh, said. You know, I think uh, we hire talent. Um, I think you have to have a good base of experience, but I don't let experience trump talent, right? Because I want guys to be able to come here and I want them to figure out things that nobody else has figured out before. Uh, so their experience has to be their core. And as long as they have that, I think they can build uh, with talent. Uh, what Brandon said is extremely correct. Come here, let your guard down. Let us see you and, and we'll let you see us, right? Uh, we have to have a, a circle of trust here that when you come here, you're going to trust that I'm going to do my job. When I come to you and give you a bag, you're going to trust that everything that I gave you is good supplies. It's good things. Um, that's, that's the networking that we need to have without it. I, I think that it would be a tough four years. <laughs> yeah. Thanks Kyle. Riley, this one's for you. Uh, lead us off anyway. What has the integration been like between the operators and the medical staff, especially like the IDMTs who are training? So I got to think if I'm an IDMT out in the Air Force and there's a an opening and I have a chance to go up to a special operations unit, there's got to be some concerns and maybe some fear coming up there that they're going to get treated bad or the operators might be these brash, stuck-up guys who um, won't listen to me when I get up there. What has that experience been like in your opinion? Yeah, that's a great question. I think for anyone uh, coming into this world, it's a, a little bit of an adaptation where uh, there, there's a little bit of time that it takes, just like any organization, especially an organization where people are, are running fast to just establish that credibility, right? And, and, and really establishing the credibility just comes down to doing the basic things well, being where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be, doing what you say you're going to do and, and delivering what you say you're going to deliver. I think once people see that value in you and that you're uh, a hard worker and, and, and that you're going to carry the mail, you will that will open up doors and relationships uh, for you immediately. Uh, you know, at the 2-2 in here, like I've had operators over to my house for barbecues or picnics on the weekend, right? And so at the end of the day, everyone puts on their pants just like everyone else, right? And we have several people across officer enlisted who uh, spend time uh, with the operators uh, on the weekend. And so I, I've found it uh, to be rewarding because frankly, I don't feel like medical gets a lot of experience or reps in leadership. And I think these guys get a lot more of it than we do. And so there's a lot we can learn just like they can from us when we're teaching them how to sleep well and how to, uh, you know, recover their bodies after workouts. There's a lot that we can learn from them uh, in terms of um, just commanding an organization or, or leading. And so yeah, I think it's been a, a really positive uh, experience. Man, that was so, that was such a good answer. I really, man, I couldn't agree more with that. Kyle, how about you? From your perspective, I've watched you kind of grow up here over the last few years, um, coming in from a lower level, and now you're you, you're the ops boss. So, how has that integration with the op operators been since you've been here? Oh, uh, it's uh, I think it created a foundation. Be coming here as uh, young as I did and kind of working my way up uh, from the outside. I'm seeing all these guys do the same, right? I'm seeing 
uh, operators that I came here, you know, at, as staff sergeants that, that are now taking on leadership roles. Um, I, I find it very good. I, I think the, the trust and the networking that I've done with them, it kind of breeds capability. Um, they trust that I'm going to do my job and they trust my, my mindset on, on some of this stuff. Um, so I, I, I've had a really good experience with all of them. Uh, all the guys, there, there are some guys that when you get here from the medical team, they're like, hey, that guy doesn't like me. It's like, no, he doesn't trust you. There's a difference. Um, I like that. Expand on that a little bit, man. Just like, why did you perceive that? And was it accurate? You're talking about the trust versus not liking? Yep, yep. How did you perceive that? Because that's a beautiful look, right? If somebody runs with the, hey, he doesn't like me, man, that's just a s divisive and it's hard to get over that. It's hard to see through that. So how did you see through it? I, it, I think just sitting down there in a log shop, packing bags out and guys just conversating back and forth. I've, I've never even talked with an operator before coming here. I didn't even know what a CCT was. Like this is how my, my knowledge of the Air Force is very small, uh, especially sitting out there in uh, space space, you know. I think the flip for me was the guy coming down, um, checking his gear, uh, being irritated because some of the supplies he had went in there. And then five minutes later, just kind of like just shooting shit with me. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think at that point in time, I was like, one, he's either bipolar um, or two, like he just doesn't trust me yet. Right. So I, I took that approach. I could be mad. Uh, I could sit there and be like, that guy doesn't like me and I don't like him. Um, or I can gain his trust. Uh, and then I, I, the relationships that came from it was awesome. I freaking love that. And I think this just points back to why that fit is so important, why it's important for you to show us who you are when you come to our ANS process um, to be hired to the unit. Because again, this can be a very stressful environment if um, if we have people falling into that role of that guy doesn't like me, so I'm just going to avoid him. Well, man, you got to support him. So there's no avoiding that person, right? Like that guy needs you. So sometimes it's going to be him that needs to figure that relationship out. But a lot of times it's going to have to be our support folks who needs to figure out how to bridge that gap, just like you did, man. I love hearing those stories. Brandon, over to you, man. You're in the inception point down at the team level, um, having to train PJs and, and things here. So how's that relationship been since you've been here with the operators? So I actually don't know that I've ever heard it voiced the way Kyle just did. Um, but I, I think that may be the truest, cleanest version of, of how you can explain it. So I would just echo that just at a, even, uh, at a working level down, down at the teams. Um, I 100% think it's the trust piece, that piece I've heard, but just the, the way you put that together, Kyle was, was spot on. We've had guys who've come back from deployments and maybe it's a rough one for them and, literally if they're just hitting you on, on a text or a phone call rather than like work channels for emails, like, Hey man, um, as a rough one, I wish I would have done this or that better. Can we put together some scenarios, right? Solo for that guy, because he found That's a great example. armor, right? So he, he found that and he needed to come back and he just had to get his head right on that to be able to put it together. So moments like that, um, or, or debrief wise, like getting kudos, uh, we had a PA here. He's left now, um, but his his highlight for the relationships that we built, the highlight in his going away was one particular cadre member who uh, definitely um, fits the operator um, type of that barrel chested freedom fighter. Uh, definitely an older man now and had been through some things. Um, but at this PA is going away. His his highlight was that that cadre member 
told us how good we had done on a large scale exercise, one of the culminating exercises for the debt for the OTC. Um, so I think that that respect and trust is probably the highlight. That's that's what I would add to what Kyle was saying. Yeah, that's good. Um, Follow up question for you though is. Give me one example of some friction you had and how did you get through it when you're interacting, maybe in a training scenario or some, maybe it's medical coverage, something that's happened since you've been there and how did you get through it? Oh, it's hundred percent fair. Cause to say that there hasn't been rub spots, uh, would, would totally be a lie, but, um, looking at it back through Kyle's lens would probably have helped out in that moment. This is just like, uh, I'd, I'd line it up to being in Charleston or being at a fighter squadron. You're, you're looking at whether it's a pilot or these operators, you're looking at some alpha males probably in that group, uh, a higher percentage rather than the minority. Um, so you get them worked up, uh, you, you get them working hard, whatever it is, right? Like you can definitely have those rub spots if you're like, eh, that's not, that's not up to par, right? Nobody wants to hear that, let alone a guy who's at the, at the peak of his career. Um, and I think it's just. Let me break this down in context a little bit more, Brandon. So, a PJ is probably working on a patient, right? That you're overseeing and kind of grading him on, if you will, um, or instructing him on. Uh, probably not saying that exactly the way you would say it, but uh, and then he's making some maneuvers that probably isn't the best for the patient at the moment. Probably not getting going to achieve the best outcome, and you're just kind of revealing that to him. And what you're saying is, in that moment, he's built up a lather. He's got a froth going. He probably doesn't want to hear that in the moment, even though later he will probably tell you, "Yeah, man, I was screwing that up." I think that sums it up right there, right? Like, uh, we're, we're talking about this whole process, you know, hungry, humble, smart, like our, our operators are just as much as our support are. So you, you might catch it in that moment. Um, but that guy is going to come back to you or you, you are in your right to go up to him and be like, man, like, let, let's talk about this and clearer heads prevail when it's not emotional. Right. And I think that's, that's been my history here. I can't think of a guy here that there's some kind of beef because, I tried to help him be better. I think that there um, is definitely a shifting in the uh, in the appreciation for support and what we're trying to help them do. Yeah, and I'm just going to foot stomp again, and uh, we're going beyond what the podcast boundaries are here, really, and talk about human behavior and how the people we need here, hum- hungry, humble, and smart folks, that humbleness to go up to somebody after something happened and close that gap. Like Kyle was saying, like Brandon just said, uh, it's imperative because again, if walls start building up and you can't break through that wall, you are no good to us as an organization in your role. And you're just taking up space there. So again, it goes back to the hiring process and what we're looking for. And if that sounds out there for those listening in the medical career fields, if that sounds like a place you want to work, man, we got some spots opening up in the future for you. So as we move on, what I want to do is um, I want to hear about y'all's best day. I want to hear about a day. Riley, we're going to start with you. I want to hear about a day that you left work, went home, um, laid your head on your pillow that night, and just had a smile on your face because you got to make a difference that day. I think uh, this may not sound as heroic as as Brandon or what Kyle had to bring, uh, you know, on the operational front there, but... And I'm, I'm really proud of our team and, and, and got a lot of satisfaction out of this, uh, this MERT machine. And we've kind of alluded to, but haven't really let our audience know what that is. It's a, a magnetic e-resonance therapy that we've been sending guys out to San Diego to this program for, for years. The, the Navy SEALs have been using it. And we've been sending them out there for four to six weeks away from their family to get essentially 30, 30 minutes of treatment a day. 
Kyle and I and, and Chad, our operational psychologist, started to crunch the numbers and say, hey, you know what? We think we can actually buy this piece of equipment ourselves and offer it right here organically. So guys, you know, head on pillow time is, is better for their families and we can still get them the care uh, for TBI, anxiety, PTSD, substance abuse right here, right here in their backyard. And, and so it was not an easy process. It took a lot of uh, negotiation with the money guys and with the folks out in San Diego and, and justifications. But I know kid and think that's going to be something that's going to pay dividends going forward. We know anecdotally the guys that have gone have gotten a lot of benefit from it so much that now that they know this this technology is here in our backyard, they want to they want to kind of get a refresher on it. And so um, in, in short, it's it's using magnetic stimulation to uh, induce uh, neuromodulation to get people's uh, brains communicating healthier. And we do that and we know that they're using that. It's an FDA approved uh, treatment for autism disorder and is used off label for a lot of those things with a lot of benefits for operators for several years. So to me, when I went home and told my wife like, hey, we got this thing, we're doing it. There's probably one other person in the whole United States are doing it. This program is sending people from all across the world to, to do it and the 724 has one. Man, it felt like it felt like we were kind of on the leading edge and, uh, and, and I could see the benefits that the guys are, are, are reaping from it right away. That is an amazing story. Kudos to that, by the way. From my perch, man, that is freaking amazing. And that, what a great, you know, I'm an operator recruiter. What a great recruiting tool as well. When we keep pushing boundaries and getting capabilities, why wouldn't guys want to come here, man? So I appreciate you pushing the boundaries of that. Kyle, over to you. What's that day that you went home, laid your head on the pillow, and you're like, man, made a difference today? I'll tell you, I'll share everything that these guys talk about. I get I get a little piece of it, right? When I worked a budget, uh, being medical logistics before becoming a medical flight chief, uh, their wins were my wins. So a lot of what they say, like I, the capability this organization has, I, I want to think I was in disbelief for years, like just coming home every day and being like, you'll never believe this. Like the things in, that, that we can move out super quick uh, and get uh, to take care of our people. One in a medical career field is amazing. I would have to say the, the single most thing for me, though, uh, we freeze-dry plasma. So we were one of the first uh, units in AFSOC to, to have freeze-dry plasma. Um, we wrote the security storage uh, protocols for our guys to carry it. Uh, and I got two of my guys down to go hand-deliver that stuff to the, to the operator um, where they were at. So that, to me, uh, was the... The icing on top of the cake like to, to kind of see it all move together um that was one of my single most proud moments here that's a great story man thanks for sharing brandon over to you oh chief i'd like to hit twofold on this i know you asked for one but uh two different flavors for for just uh that that self-satisfaction piece um so one like there's many training days where we're putting together these big shows that are 12 15 hour days and you're you're taking a working lunch as you're prepping the next piece of it and to have a 12 or 15 hour day where um we've pulled people from flight med from ops and training to get this done and at the end of that long hot uh, north carolina summer day um, for guys who want to stand around and just bs and talk to each other afterwards man like the shop that's been built here under under kyle and, and riley's leadership like that that hits me when i go home um, and then secondly, uh, real world AAR, um, working with guys when they've come back from deployment and been like, man, training of this kind with this advanced medical, um, level stuff, 
translated directly to this save on this day or whatever without talking any any specific location or whatever like that right there i went boom that's it man we punched a ticket we helped save that life with the the support and the training we're giving our operators yeah absolutely i keep pushing i keep you know as the cadre i'm talking operator training courses they come over they feel like hey i'm i'm not having as much of an impact anymore and i just I just want to smack him like, dude, you're having the biggest impact in the world at this point in time because it's just not you now. Now you're putting out 30 dudes with capability, and that's what y'all are doing in y'all shop too. And I want to piggyback off of what you said about the culture y'all have there. And even, you know, I run the operator selection piece with Rob now, and y'all's piece used to be a lot bigger. We've adjusted some of the model now to where we don't need 50 of y'all during one day like we used to, and I'm being a little facetious, but there was a lot of medical folks that had to come play. And y'all sitting around, A, first, I never had to worry about the medical shop. Y'all always had the people right where they needed to be. And even the grades on the emails were always fabulous. I always used y'all as the example um, points of this is how you should be grading events. And then in between the candidates moved around y'all stations, the atmosphere, I would love to just come over and stand by y'all station because it's jovial. There's usually some kind of food or drink hanging out nearby. And you guys are just having a good time, even though I'm keeping y'all up for 18 20 hours so again it's a special place to work looking from the outside in you can't help but notice it so now we're going to get some really good emotions flowing here um riley i'm going to start with you again you get 30 seconds to brag on your medical folks you can brag about yourself you can brag about your team um but i just ask y'all to take your humble bridles off right now and just let loose of riley what is in 30 seconds what's what do you want to brag about I think as a medical team and as a human performance optimization team at large, I think we are uh, the gold standard. I, I've had folks up at the University of North Carolina tell us like, man, if we had that system that you guys set up, the amount of folks you have all staring at one problem it is unbelievable. And the amount of things you guys can do in a given week and accomplish in a given week is incredible. I mean, you're looking at two of them right here. Brandon was the AFSOC IDMT of the year. He's, he's, he's working like a master sergeant. Kyle's the C for essentially 60 plus uh, people, 30 which are active duty. And, uh, you know, across those providers, there's probably about 40 plus degrees that come along with that. And, and, and he's and Kyle's a tech sergeant right now. Right. So I think you got people who are consistently outworking their rank or their experience because they have the right mindset. And, uh, I'll tell you from our IDT standpoint, if I went, if I burned one in on a tandem jump and I got hurt, I would 100% uh, be absolutely okay with these guys taking care of me or anybody in my family. And I mean that in all, in all sincerity. Wow. That's a big statement right there. That's a good way to look at it. Right. I always say, Hey, if I'm, if I'm hurt, is this PJ, the guy I want coming to, to treat me? Right. Cause I think that's an important selection question. I love that you just said it like that. And that was way over 30 seconds, but I'm okay with that because that was a great answer. Kyle, 30 seconds if you can, but I'm not going to hold you to it. Go. Got it. Yeah. So uh, I would say our medical team, it, it is truly a family. Uh, the way we pick each other up, the way we can interact with each other. Um, I've had a lot of kids since I've been here. And every time these guys come to my aid and I trust that they're going to do their job, uh, we have very highly efficient people that we work with. Uh, and, and, and they, it comes off as special, comes off sometimes to some people as arrogant, but we're different. Uh, we're different because we're assessed and selected. Um, we're putting the right tools uh, in the right socket, right? Like we're turning the gears. Um, it doesn't mean that we're any better than anybody else. It just means that we're plugged in uh, and we're on point in that specific skill set. Um, that's what's kind of what the organization needs as a whole right now.
So I trust everything these guys do. I've seen my IDMTs do great work. I've seen Riley do great things that just kind of amaze me every day. Uh, I see my flight med team continue just to move out during this COVID and stuff like that. Like you're talking about highly efficient people. I mean, to brag, I, I can't think of any one thing because I'm just super proud of all of them. Uh, every day I come into work, I appreciate this organization giving me the experience to kind of lead um, and mentor these guys uh, because watching them grow was uh, one of the happiest things I think I've ever done here. So, Yeah, that was special. Thanks, Kyle. Brandon, over to you. I don't know how I can compare with the the last two that that were just said. They said it all. Like uh, to brag on like each individual individual shot, man. Like our leadership has moved the ball forward. Kyle Riley, like so far forward with the relationships that we have with that line side, and I, I don't think we'd be doing near as much as we are right now without out them moving that. Um, and then down below that, man, flight med takes care of guys like nobody would believe. The, the amount of effort, the never-ending phone calls, text messages, emails, um, training shop. Man, like, we we have guys who are just over the moon as to where we are now, and that that's moved everything forward. We've got guys from senior airmen to guys who are masters with 19 years in, and I think I learned something from all of them. Um, that, and that, that's just within the, the training shop, the ranks and, and experience I'm talking about, so... Uh, yeah, just humbled and can't believe I'm still here and hope to stay here for, for the long haul, man. It's an awesome place. Man, I really appreciate all three of those answers. All right, y'all, the boat's pulling into the harbor. So last question. Uh, we're going to start with Brandon on this one. Uh, we'll go Kyle and then let Riley round us out. So imagine you're on stage. You have every medical professional in the Air Force out in the audience. And why would you try to convince them that the 724 is a spot on their career map that they should not miss? Man, I, I think I would sum it up in uh, experience. Uh, I've said this a few times. I've learned to have to caveat it. Uh, I don't say this in a negative light. I think every year you spend here, because this, pace, this place is so fast-paced, I think it is seven years. It's like a dog year. One year here is seven years to the Air Force in experience and growth. And that is the cleanest way that I could say it. Love it. Kyle, over to you. Yeah, I think he may have read that out of my book that I wrote down. I don't know. Uh, because I've done these recruiting trips. Uh, I've gone and talked on stages and try and get people to come and assess. Uh, and it, it is just that. Like, I feel like still, after being here this long, that we are truly walking among giants, right? You walk in, you see these guys. They're silver star recipients, right? Uh, bronze star recipients. Like These guys have done amazing things. And if you want to be a part of an organization um and to support an elite unit like this come and do it right like uh bring your mindset bring your talent uh and let's push the ball forward like the next five years of this place will look completely different than the previous and it should uh, if you want to come make a difference and in, in, in the air force then come see us all right riley round us off man yeah i think uh if we're having to convince you at this point you may not want to be be here but uh but you know if i'm on that stage i think i tell you two things i think one is if you're looking to grow and challenge yourself in a way that I don't think any other organization in the Air Force would, would, would do it, uh, I would say uh, this would be a great assignment for you. The other thing I would tell you is the, the best predictor of, of the future is looking in the past. And every person that we've uh, brought into the organization from the medical side of things, they've left here doing really incredible things or, or, or it's provided them really incredible opportunities. We had a PA who just left and did the Blue Horizons program, which is a pretty like top 10% uh, 
professional military education course. And so I think this place will just continue to open up doors for you and give you a lot of perspective about the military uh, in a joint environment. All that is it for another Insight Through Experience podcast. Just want to give another shout out to Riley, Kyle, and Brandon. Guys, this has been an amazing hour for me. So I appreciate you guys tuning in. I know you're all busy. Um, Brandon drove all night last night to relocate to another medical support place that he's doing for an exercise. So I thank all of y'all for taking time out of your day today. Thanks, Trey. I appreciate you, man. Yeah, thanks, Trey. Appreciate you letting us highlight our, our cape too.